0: Welcome, we trust you will be encouraged by this message from Bonnie Chavda presented by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power.
1: Hallelujah, we celebrate today and this week. We celebrate not only the answer to prayer, but specifically for this nation, for America. In spite of the perspective and commentary of every other nation, we celebrate today a reassertion and a returning to the recognition of our foundation. 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 Directly related to the security and the only identity that can come to a family is a firm foundation and above that foundation is a father so this is a great day for many things of affirming the truth and again more than any other nation in america men male men young and old men have been under assault, and the abortion lobby and public demonstration, an effort to establish something as heinous as indoctrinating women who have been given the ability to receive life from a father and protect and nurture that life as God does what he does, knits us together in our mother's womb, knits, creates bones, makes fingers and toes. And the Roe v. Wade decision usurped everything that is true and just, ignored our foundations, and opened a floodgate for the murder of innocents, for the removal of the sanctity and the reality and the necessity of men as fathers and men as men. And it is a blatant lie to have guised the press to be pro-abortion as something that elevated or honored women in any fashion. And so we do celebrate. And isn't it interesting that in the very week of Father's Day, (laughs) our Father and some true Fathers stepped up and acknowledged and rightly adjudicated our foundation as a nation. So no other nation has a place at the table of commenting on what this decision means unless they first acknowledge America's founding and our founding fathers, who put our founding documents in place for the possibility of a society and families standing on that foundation, growing roots deep in its promise and rising up in fruitful generations, in pursuit of life and liberty, true liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which in the founder's understanding, worldview, and philosophy, those words did not mean, do whatever you want, darling. It meant a society whose institutions would be for private ownership in freedom and possibility and the security and blessing of families in the wake of that. So, to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of happiness. Amen? God bless you. Welcome to church, saints. You may be seated. We are going to celebrate today together. And uh, you all know Ken, Mr. Canty, and I are going to share some thoughts together, uh, together with some of our other esteemed members. And um, on Friday night at the Watch, we actually read pieces of the decision by the court, the majority opinion by the court which lays out very clearly and for all of the opponents and the radicals and the uh, users, abusers and losers that would try to claim and even use the phrase to their own political agenda benefit, that now abortion is banned, it's bunk. What has happened with this ruling is simply we have returned to our foundation, which means that the citizenry of particular states through their elected representation, can determine the dynamic for their locale. That's what it means. And the Roe v. Wade case, under law, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said it. It had no legal foundation. It was a complete overreach and a creation of the day to suit certain ideologies. And what a lie it was, but it shows us how a lie can be used and perpetuated and then foisted upon successive generations so that they literally are formed, believing a lie. And you know what? Church, you are the only solution and the only hope because the Bible says the church is the foundation. Say foundation. Foundation. And pillar of the truth. So this is a time when we are seeing also a great plumb line That already has been dropped, but things are very clear for us now. Those of us who cling to the Father of lights, the creator of life, the one who made men male and woman female in his image and ordained them to be blessed together and multiply through procreation and creating life and raise up families and spread and fill the earth. These are all the things that this insidious lie stood up in opposition to. But as the psalmist says in Psalm 100, he says, the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. His truth, say his truth, endures, endures in the face of opposition and war and lies endures to all generations <laughs> generations so we praise the lord today and we bless each one of you and all of our friends and family around the world and at home you are watching gathering and we do encourage you it's time to return to the sanctuary and this sanctuary on sunday morning we gather and begin our worship at 10 o'clock So be here and let's celebrate together so you can be strengthened and further equipped so that we can stand together in truth and clarity and take our place as the priests of God, as evangelical, that means the people who are going forth with the original commission of the gospel to all of those around us. His truth endures to all generations. And so this morning, I want us to continue together to be strengthened and encouraged in the themes of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit, that are all around us in demonstration this week in particular, from Father's Day to the spirit of fatherhood, that manifested and spoke through this decision of returning to our foundation. And let me say again that the Roe v. Wade case happened to be the thing that met the ash heap because of the spirit of fatherhood rising up saying truth, and returning us to the foundations. And life happened to be the beneficiary. Do you understand that? This is something that is so much more of a demonstration than just the reverse of a lie 50 years ago, right? And the timing, the timing is so key for the founders, and our Father in Heaven, original intention for this nation to which God has called us to, planted us in. And even like the Apostle said, that before he created the world, in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul writing, he said God had each one of us in mind as a father imagining and seeing his children to bring each one successively into being into birth through the womb of a woman but by the seed of a father and to do that miracle that miracle of his own person of life and his characteristics working in there to make you and i be born and to live in a particular time and in a certain place in order that men might seek and find the Lord. So these things all fit together, and we are celebrating this week a demonstration of these things. Um, I was encouraged to meditate some more on Father and what Father means. You know the real word for Father. Primogenitor. That means the first generation, the initial origin of bringing forth life. Friends, this speaks directly to the flood. This month has been Pride Month. Fatherhood. Fatherhood and it flows down, is derived from the Father in heaven, who with him there is no shadow and no transitioning, <laughs> no, no turning. <laughs> and from him, every family, say family. That's another thing that has been tried to be redefined according to self-identification. But we are the people, the church, and the ones who refuse to compromise or turn back from our worldview that comes from the Word, from his initial showing of himself. Primogenitor. Say primogenitor. First parent or earliest ancestor, and of course Adam and Eve are the primogenitors of the human race. It means ancestor, as well as father, forebear or forebearer, forefather, grandfather. So each of us today, and everyone within the sound of my voice, each one of us have a literal host of men that have given us our life, a host of them. Think for just a moment and be thankful. Because you live, you have been given by the Father the revelation and gift of eternal life. Can we just stop and consider that for a moment? If you didn't have a natural father, so whether he was in your life or not, or was wonderful, or not, and we completely honor and applaud and love and are thankful for adoptive fathers. But I want to tell you, each one of us who is alive has been given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus as we have believed. If you had never existed, you wouldn't have eternal destiny. But you know who gave that to you? First, your natural father. So let us thank God today. And for some of us, it means a shift in our mentality, our emotional thinking. If we had fathers who were absent or who were abusers, and there's been a flood of indoctrination of Christians That because your natural father failed you, you can't fully trust your heavenly father. And you have to struggle with your faith and all of the. No, today we're going to take a stand. We're going to lay down the old robe. Right? Come on. Take a stand. And say, thank you, Father, to our natural father, that man who was involved in the origination and creation of your life and mine. Because if he had not been there, each one of us would not have the eternal destiny we share now. Is that making sense? So let's take a deep breath and exhale all of those shadows and be healed today. And celebrate and receive afresh the real spirit of fatherhood to come again and flood the church. And in that spirit, I want to ask Joey to come and make a couple of comments about what we celebrate. I've told Joey that he, as Ruth and he know, we receive him as a father in this house. Joey, if you would, come on up here, and you can stand right here at the pulpit and Take your liberty and speak to us and then lead us in a prayer today. Amen. Uh, Welcome, Joey. Joey. (laughs) Uh,
2: I just want to start by reading Psalms 139, verses 13 through 15. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are the works of my soul. Knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. When you woven me together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So we see that life begins in the womb at conception. There's many false ideas and, and uh. A lot of, we use the term fake news, and a lot of what come over as science is fake science. Okay, but you have a number of people now, particularly in biology, biologists, that let you know that life begins at conception. So, and then, as Pastor Bunny said about the foundations, life being sacred is one of the foundations of the church. Yeah. And then, uh, thank you, songs. it says, uh, if the foundations be destroyed, what what can the righteous do? Yeah. So, and the, what the righteous have to do is stand up and continue to do what's right and do the right thing. And some of the terminology they use, uh, part of the reason why abortion was supported because the people of Planned Parenthood, they said, if we can get the churches to support abortion, it would be successful. Because early after slavery, black people didn't believe in abortion. So they had to find out a way to get the churches and black and white churches to promote abortion. And they figure out a way to, for abortion to get a foothold in the church. And what happened, the black pastors and other pastors, it was a departure from the faith. The Bible said in the last days, many would depart from the faith. So they would they de- departed from the foundation that had already been laid that life is sacred. Even in the womb, life is sacred. And they use a lot of terms. They use terms like pro-choice. Well, pro-choice is a code word for being pro-abortion, <laughs> okay? Called a woman don't have a choice. You know, She have a right, they say, well, I have a right to do, it's my body. But that baby is, a, is another body, it's not her body. and and that baby has life, and life is sacred in the womb. And then they use the term fetus, which is a Latin word. And the term fetus in Latin, one of the meanings of fetus in Latin, in Latin means baby, but they use it in, uh, they won't, I don't have a better term to say, but they think people are just stupid, (laughs) and that we don't have the ability to figure this thing out. And, uh, I like to just go back on something that was said Friday night by Cindy and Akin about the fathers being absent. Uh, in the Old Testament, when they, they had laws about vows, and uh, the first one was when a lady, a married woman, made a vow, then her husband had a chance, a period of time, when he could disavow whatever that vow was. And if the husband didn't disavow it, it stood. And then it was another uh, law about daughters. If the uh, father heard his daughter say a vow, he had a certain period of time to disavow it. And if he didn't disavow it, she had to perform that vow. And so what happens, the fathers have been absent. Okay. And God wants the fathers to return and not be absent. And, and the fact that the fathers were absent, it's a lot of young women out here. See, we have a ministry to these young women too that had abortions. And we have a, and most of the people that have abortions are young people. Most abortions come through the age of 18 to 24. But a lot of young people in our school systems are getting abortions and the parents don't even know about it. I would, uh listen to my granddaughter and one of her friends, and she was sharing the fact that uh, one 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 of her friends, she knew, and this happened in the public schools in Charlotte all the time, had had three abortions, and the parents never knew about the first one because, you know, you can't. they won't allow you to bring an asthma to the school system, but they will allow you to have an abortion without the parents knowing about it. And the same thing is happening about uh, being transgender is another thing that's happening in the public schools. And uh, they want to make it law like it is in California, and New York, that your children can have the operation at an early age and the parents would never know about it. And I was reading a story about a young girl that had the part of the operation, she had a breast removed and she began to grow hair as a man. And when she got older, she was ashamed she wanted to go back because 95% of the people that believe in a transgender uh, operation believe that that's, they born that way, they grow out of it. And uh, once they grow out of it, they feel bad and they blame their parents because their parents are allowing this to happen. And they have a high suicide rate. The suicide rate for people that go through with operation are over 22%. So, fathers have a responsibility to teach their children and to reach the younger generation. And uh, because if the younger generation is going to help us in this fight for abortion. And uh, we have an opportunity to reach out. Abortion hurts. Uh, if you go to many of the Christian psychologists, they won't never share this with you on CNN, uh, MSNBC. That, but There's a lot of people that have had abortion, young people in particular, they feel like they are forsaken by God. They feel like that they cannot be forgiven. And uh, there's a lot of people that commit suicide. And there's a lot of people that suffer hurt. One lady said for 30 years she felt hurt, she she was wounded. So abortion causes a wound. And uh, you have a lot of young people that are wounded. And God wants to heal that wound because Jesus died for the sin of abortion. So if you're online and you as a young person and you're a young lady that had an abortion, Jesus loves you. He don't hate you. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. And he's willing to forgive you and he wants to forgive you and heal you. And many of the people that's going to be healed from abortion is many of the young people that can fight, that can stand with the church because gonna put his spirit on all flesh. And these young people are going to fight and stand with the church and many of them already had abortions. Alvita King had several abortions when she was coming up, but she said uh, the reason that she won't abort it because her grandfather in a dream saw her, saw what she looked like, and, and he went to her mother and said, don't abort this child. And she have a movement today against abortion. So God gonna use these people that had abortions and we want to pray for the restoration of the fathers, that they will return back. The heart of the fathers to be returned back to the children, and the children's heart be returned back to the fathers, because abortion is the ultimate deception. Uh, life is sacred in the womb, and we want to pray for churches that they will unite in that deception, deception, and that there will be a restoration of pure teaching and pure doctrine on abortion, and that we can... You, unite as a church to stand against abortion so father in the name of jesus we pray for unity in the body of christ father that this lie we bind and it's a lying spirit and we just come against every lying yeah. spirit in the name of jesus that abortion is normal it, abortion is a civil right which is not and as uh, Margaret, uh, not Margaret Singer, but as the other King, Alveda King said, we're going to start a new civil rights. Yeah. The unborn have civil rights from the womb. That's going to be our civil rights movement, the protection of the unborn. And we pray that this will be so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank, you.
1: Thank you very much. God bless you. Say, Fathers. So obviously without fathers there are no mothers. <laughs> without fathers there is no new generation. And the prayer of the church is founded upon prayer to our father. Our Father in heaven. So the origin of everything about our life, past, present, and future is firmly rooted in the Father and in Father Revealed. I had the opportunity last week on Father's Day to speak in a church in Dallas and the thing that was impressed on my heart and I spoke to all men and specifically to young men or old men who had never fathered or had not yet fathered a biological child and I said to them Jesus the son came to reveal the father. Jesus as a man A full human man never fathered a biological child. But as a man and son of the heavenly Father, he said to all who saw him, if you see me, you see the Father. So young men, receive a fresh impartation and encouragement of your full identity. As a man, a powerful man, who carries already the spirit and image of not only your natural father and grandfather and great-grandfather, but of the heavenly father. And again, Jesus said, if you get to know me, you're going to get to know the father. So, men, we applaud you. And we bless you and we recognize and affirm and reassert the foundation of family is in you, young and old, in whatever state of life or season of life that you're in at this moment. And on Friday night, as we were praying together the corporate prayer of the church, and let me just put in a plug and a fresh invitation for the Watch, we're thankful for so many of you who are our faithful Watch family online who live in other nations and other states and not anywhere in this locale. But for all of you in this locale, we welcome you to revive the corporate prayer of the church. And it's very important because in that corporiety we find the flourishing, the evolution, the re- revealing of the church's legislative authority for clarity and guidance. And as Joey mentioned in uh, in The Watch on Friday, for instance, Cindy was inspired to add to our prayer the reality of how the Roe v. Wade decision for 15 years had been abjectly aimed at wiping out men, of removing them from the conversation of the creation and upholding and founding of family. And that's exactly what it did because men had no say. So, Joey was pointing us to the original premise of the Word of God. The reason that a husband or a father had an opportunity to revert his wife or his daughter's vow was because his place is to be father. Isn't that beautiful? Here's another one that's in there. A long time ago God said, I don't want men dressing up as women, and I don't want women Amen. dressing up as Amen. men. Amen. Who could have imagined thousands of years ago that he was speaking then culturally to us now? Right. Because it's a slippery slope. Yeah, but there is a sure foundation, and that is our rock the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, this is one aspect of the spiritual war that's upon us. Uh, an ancient assault that goes back to the garden itself and descends through every genocide, including those of Pharaoh and Herod, right down to Planned Parenthood. And might I remind you, yesterday was the anniversary of June 25th, 1939, was the anniversary of Margaret Sanger initiating what she called the Negro Project. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: As Joey said, the majority of the genocide has been committed against black babies in this nation. Mm -hmm. And Margaret Sanger, eugenicist, racist, who adopted the uh, ideology of Adolf Hitler and was determined to be at the foundation of a movement to create a pure race by removing every hereditary and genetic which she figured were inferior traits. And she specifically looked at the African-American as needing to be removed as a race of people. She referred... These are the quotes. A dysgenic horror story having a detrimental effect on physical and mental hereditary qualities of blacks who she said reproduced carelessly and disastrously. See how a lie works? Mm, See how a lie works? And into this beast's mouth, devouring mouth, the majority, Satan set it up then, Determined, Ken, that you would not be here. Yes. Determined that you wouldn't be here. But guess what? Our God is great.
3: Amen. Yes, he is. And if I can
1: say this in the big narrative, specifically for the African Americans, let's stop for a moment and think about slavery. For many in the African American community, that horror and that pain, the middle passage, was the way the seed for your life was carried and planted in this nation. So there is a way to view even our own painful histories and see through into the glory story of God and his redemption and be able to properly address even the most difficult histories and questions. Are you tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I've shared with many that that revelation came to me when we were driving along in a tour bus in one of my first trips to Israel. And there was this beautiful uh, orchard, if you will, of. Umbrella trees uniquely that grow only on the savanna of the African plain. And I said to the tour guide, I said, What are these trees? And he said, Well, those trees are carried here in seed on the wind that swings up the Rift Valley all the way to those rocky, stark cliffs adjacent to the Dead Sea in Israel. And the rains wash them off those hard rock faces, and they take root in that arid ground. And suddenly, you have a tree that grows nowhere else but in Africa. And as I was listening to him tell that story, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Bonnie, the middle passage was my wind to bring the seeds of families that I had ordained a future and a hope, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness in America. It's awfully quiet in here. But perhaps in the same way that we've already committed to shifting from natural fathers who may have failed or even abused or abandoned us, I invite you today that we make another shift an ideological, cultural shift concerning our histories because Jesus intervened. Jesus has intervened. Oh, it's awfully quiet in here, Brother Ken. It's awfully quiet in here. So, Brother Ken, come and speak to us and you and I will just continue on. There are many things that can be said but the father, our father, my father, our fathers, fathers of family, say family, family. fathers of the faith, of faith. Founding, fathers of a founding fathers of a nation, they include many generations of men, primarily men, before women were starting to advance on the field of combat, it was men, many of them gave away, by laying down their lives, gave away their entire future generations when they put their life in the soil of a battlefield for our freedoms. That, again, is the spirit of fatherhood, who sacrifice and give it all. And we see that reflected, obviously, in our hero and Savior, the Lord Jesus. And I would like to say, in reference to that, the impetus of any man, say man. man. I'm talking to men now and talking about men in this nation. But to any man who enters political office, the first requirement and by which you should judge everyone before you support them requires the true spirit of fatherhood. You understand what I'm suggesting? You look at his not only his personal life, but you look at his record and his ideology, to find if indeed he is one who understands the calling impressed upon him by simply being created in the image of the Father. And his life demonstrates that he understands that he is sent to be a defender, a protector, a progenitor of life and family. And all others should be disqualified from having public power and office in a society. So what do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah. They should be to protect, to look to the future well-being, and in every act move towards that wisdom. Anything less, that man should not have the privilege and power of office, and certainly any man in public office who advocates for the murder of the unborn should be removed from public office and influence, period. Right? So, one of the things we've learned as Christians is that choice is relative, and the first choice that righteous people make is to embrace the cross, which means a self-denial. And that's the best choice to make always. Amen. Brother Ken, come and talk to us this morning. You can give Ken a hand. Welcome him this morning.
3: Good morning. Well, first uh, and foremost, I want to give honor where it's due uh, to the Lord, first and foremost, for being here and being in good health and strength but also to my spiritual parents of this house, who I think are quite amazing, yeah. right? So I think the, the honor goes to them. Uh, thank you for allowing me to share this platform with you, and because uh, it's uh, a tremendous pressure after <laughs> all that you guys have built. <laughs>
1: um, it, also gets one, easier, uh, it gets easier, Ken. It gets easier the more you do it. But Cicero, you know, he was the... The speaker of all speakers. And do you know what he said at the end of his life? No. That he would literally get sick at his stomach with nerves every time he got up to give a public speech.
3: That is true. I have his book.
1: <laughs> so. I'm going to so have the, a read of those Cicero. Those butterflies in your stomach we share.
3: I love Cicero. The, the, the <laughs> pressure really comes from just um, fear and trepidation. The fear of the Lord. For more, more than anything and not to come up here and put on airs or anything like that. Yeah. Is to make sure I honor the head of this house, um, and my—I don't want to call him spiritual father. My head my daddy. We looked alike. Come right? on, you know. <laughs> if you got to look at. It, you got to squint on. your eye a little bit, but you will see it. <laughs> that's it. Part two. African American. There you go. Oh, oh, uh huh. Oh, Here we oh, go. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Oh, man, but, uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, when, you know, the call came and just, just, you know, share a few things, and I will share a few things with you guys, and I'll get out your way because I don't want to be up here long. You probably heard that from many of the pastors, right? <laughs> so I'm trying not to fall into that cliche. Yeah, every preacher says um, it. <laughs> but I was thinking about, you know, Mahesh over the years, and, and this, what I'm going to share is kind of segue into. Just a few things that I'll share with the body today, and even those online. My daughter, uh, we, was, we was riding in the car the other day, and uh, if you guys probably don't know, I have a 15-year-old daughter named Elizabeth, uh, a seven-year-old son named Solomon, yeah. and God named them both. And that may seem bizarre, but I'll explain that in a moment. But I was having a conversation with her because I spent a lot of time with her. I've talked to her more than i talked to my wife, and that's not a slight on my wife. I just have a wonderful wife that allows me to pour into my children. You know, thank God for her. Um, but I spent a lot of time with my daughter, so in the midst of a conversation we was having, and I've, I don't remember if I said anything to prompt the question that she had, but she said, Daddy, what is inflation? and you know, in the best way a daddy would try to, I try to explain it to her the effects of it and what happens and how it starts and all this kind of stuff. And as I shared it with him, trying in my head, I'm trying to be uh, very specific and be plain because I don't want to lose her in all the, the stuff that happens with that. And she said, Well, how do you fix it? I'm like, Wow, if I had an answer for that, you know, so I'm, I, I thought for a moment, I said, Well, it's kind of complex. I said, there's a mirror of things. It's just not one specific thing. And so um, I thought about hot inflation and and where we'll go with that. Is an answer came to me just this morning. And it's kind of like what I'm going to share with you here. The answer was God said, rebuild the altar. She said, how do you fix it? And I said, well, it's complex. I was giving her a practical dad answer. Wow. Well, baby, it's complex, and well, you got to do this, and you got elected officials in the office, and blah, blah, blah. And God just says, rebuild the altar. And so in saying that, and I was talking about you know, Father Mahesh, I thought about over this weekend, and I know you probably have felt this before, and some of you guys have spoken at different places, and you've prayed and you prayed, and then you want God to give you an outline of stuff, and you're like, he don't give it to you until you're right on the spot. How many have that ever happened to? So I'm not the only weird one here, right? You show up, and then he give you a pow. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord, because I didn't know what I was going to say to these people. Um, but one thing I, I seek to do as a dad, and I shared this with my again, with my daughter last night, that I had a good dad, but he wasn't a spirit-filled dad. And I learned to accept the things that he contributed to myself and my brothers and sisters by what he knew. Because I knew his knowledge only went so far without the knowledge of the Lord. But I'm grateful that he was there. Physically. Sometimes because that mattered. And my objective in being a father, now a dad, is I want my children to one day stay, say, when they stand on a platform. Or when they do something great. Or maybe Or maybe not. I want them to be able to say, my dad was there. So my prayer, even before I had children, was, Lord, just keep me healthy, mm-hmm. keep me alive, that I can impart to them yeah. so I can show them the right way to go, so I can show them what to do. And I've, I, I believe, and they will always be the testimony. I would never try to say, well, yeah, I'm this, I'm that. The testimony will come from them, my wife and my two children. So I'm always working towards that, to be there, to be present, even in correction. And so I I thought about Pastor Bonnie myself as growing up because my journey uh, in Christ came at the age of 23, Uh, but my mom did just enough to get us in church on Christmas and Easter Sunday and whenever she could, because my dad wouldn't go. But my mom, and it was enough to get my attention at 17, but I fought it until I was 23. And coming back from the Marine Corps, I began to hear voices. And, and all this is going to make sense. It's going to make sense, I promise you, because it all, it's all connected. Uh, and the voice said, I have something for you to do. And I didn't understand it. I didn't interpret it. It was kind of like a Samuel thing. I was like, yeah, and I'd ignore it. Age of 19, I hear it again. It's coming at sporadic times. Age 21, again. Age 22 and three. And then one day, walking down the street, as I got back stateside here. The voice kept getting louder and louder. I got something for you to do. And I remember stomping my foot in the middle of the street. Well, that gonna say it? What is it? And I caught myself and I looked around and people looking at me. Like, this dude don't lost his mind. And it doesn't help if you're a Marine because they already think you crazy. So, Hank, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, Lord, I'm feeling crazy here. So I said, all right, tell me what it is. And he said, I'm about to take you somewhere. I said, all right. And this is the journey. I'm still being taken. But the reason why I say it's all tied together is as I look back over my life, even last night, I stayed up kind of late. What the Lord said to me was, what you was looking for and what you have always been looking for is a man that knows how to show you how to build an altar. And there are many people In God's house, many people around the world, and they share the gospel, and they're good people, have nothing bad to say about any of them, but the majority of them do not know how to teach somebody else how to build an altar, and I, when I first laid eyes on Mahesh, you remember this, at the conference in Atlanta, at the Sheraton Hotel, I'm nudging my wife, I'm like, do you see that? And I saw something on that man. And I kept knowing. She said, will you leave me alone? I'm trying to listen. That's my wife. <laughs> That's how she do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't help it. I stared at this man. Because many of you guys probably have uh, experienced the same thing where someone will come along and they'll call you son. Or they'll call you daughter and they'll put a cloak over you. Because they want you to conform. They want you to conform to their ideology, their ways. And even behind the scenes, you see things, you're like, "Man, I'm trying to see where I read that. It ain't in there. But it's almost as if they buy your silence. But it wouldn't work on me. Because I was always an outspoken person. I've challenged them. And I've gotten kicked out of churches, too, for challenging them. But that was great. It's the story of my life. But I wanted to learn how to build an altar. And Mahesh Chavda, along with his wife, has shown me how to do that. Jesus said it like this, if you want the context of scripture. When you go into your prayer closet, you remember that scripture, Matthew 6, 6? When you call out to the Lord in the secret place, I will reward you. That's an altar. I have taught my children and my family. When we come to the table, you respect the altar. Because it's a place of sacrifice. It is an exalted place. It's not a place to play and all that kind of stuff. However, we talk about everything. Politics, religion. We talk about dating and all kinds of stuff. At the At the altar. and so i cling to my head my father of this house so i can continue to impart to my family in succession is this making sense to anybody what was be- what began friday night and what was revealed in the watch of the silence of fathers none of this stuff would have worked even in 1939 Had a man spoke. Come on. Come on. When I, when I, I don't know if it's called pulling rank or whatever, and I rarely do that. But I share with my wife and my children, you know, after they've shared with me something that's going on or maybe a problem or something like that, you know, me and I have to, I'm like Hank the other night, I mean last week. I have to be careful not to try to fix it all of a sudden. I have to pull back and just try to listen. But after I've gotten enough information, I feel when I start talking, I want everything to be quiet. And I don't seek to command it, I'm teaching. When God speaks, you don't speak at the same time. That's a father. I'm, when God speaks, I'm listening. When I speak, you listen. Because I am now imparting wisdom. Knowledge, education, training, correction. Now it's time, I'm, it's time the father is speaking. That's an authority. So I want to teach my kids how to understand and recognize authority when they see it. It starts in the home. It starts in the family. And with a movement in June called Pride Month, if the father starts speaking, that will be no more Pride Month. Listen, I'm going to say that again because some of y'all didn't hear me. If the fathers with authority start speaking, it goes away. I challenge and I talk to many people in that persuasion. I do. I enjoy the conversations. I really do. My wife will tell you. She think I'm crazy. She really does. She's like, you did what? You went well. I go down there. I just try to follow the pattern. Jesus says, I only doing what my father, I only say what he says." Yeah. Listen, I didn't have the spiritual upbringing that probably most of you guys had. So I just looked at it and said, okay, well, I'll do the same. If God go to the dark places, Lord, cover me with your grace and your mercy. I'm going to the dark place. I'm going where the drugs are. I'm going to the hood. I, I grew up in the hoods. So I grew up, I understand the gunshots and the, the game banking. I, I get that. I just wear a suit now, that's all. I just dressed it up a little bit, but I still understand how to move in that setting. I want to go. I'll sit at a, a, a gay bar. I've been to Bulldogs in Atlanta. I know the owner. He banks with Fifth Thirds. Sorry, that's a disclaimer. We are good, we we on talking terms. He comes in to see me when I was in Atlanta. So for some of you guys don't know what Bulldogs is, I'll just let you understand what I'm talking about. It's a club in Atlanta, in Midtown Atlanta, and just around the corner, that's a street that's paved like a rainbow. They painted the street. Mark their territory. Here's what I'm saying. They built an altar. Yeah. 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 Come on, man. Come on, Ken. That's right. Come on, I'm talking to the Gideons in the house. Tell that did crap it. down. Yeah. As did black and black. rebuild it. Yes. Even with that, let me say that as an African-American, black man, whatever you want to call me, man. I am not an advocate for BLM. I'll say that to their face. Sorry, because I'm on your platform. Forgive me. I'm an outspoken person. I can't help it sometimes. That's a bunch of garbage. And I've challenged even those who look like me and told them to their face, that's a bunch of garbage. You have no merit. You have no ground to stand on. Because I know my altar is bigger. My altar speaks for me. The altar I have built in my home when I travel, that altar goes before it still uh-huh. speaks for me. That's how the altar yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, I ain't giving you, all, you guys no scripture. I'm going to show you something real quick. Go to Genesis chapter 8. Come on. Yeah. And I want you to look at, we're going to look at verse 20. I'm going to read something to you. You guys have read this before. So this is just uh, not a teaching you. This is something just to remind you. Genesis chapter 8. And you look at verse 20. When you dare there, say amen. amen. It says, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord, took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Let me stop there. Now, before, this was during the time of the flood, where, let's just say, debauchery was going on. And God said, I'm tired of the debauchery. I'm tired of all this loose living. I'm tired of all this filth. I'm tired of all this mess. I'm looking for a righteous man that I can extend the lineage of righteousness on the earth that I seek to inhabit. And they go through 40 days. Of, you know how it goes. Rain and all this kind of stuff. The rain descenders. They land on the mountains of Ararat. And right here, the first thing a father does is he built an altar. As soon as he comes off the boat. He didn't go look for food. He didn't count all the animals. He didn't even check on his family. They say he built an altar. Which shows you the importance of it. He built an altar. But watch what happens after he built it. Because an altar built right. Prompts the Holy Father to respond. Watch this. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord, what did he say? He said in his heart. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Why? Because he smelled the sacrifice of a father. I will not curse the ground anymore. In the book of Galatians, it says the curse is is, is no more. The curse of the ground is no more. Cursed is the ground. We saw that in Genesis in the earlier chapters. Because man's sin. Cursed is ground. He, he says, wow. I will not again curse the ground anymore that is good. for man's sake. That is good. For the imagination of his heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again. So this is the second part. Neither will I again smite any more Every living thing. He included everything. He included everything because a father knew how to build an altar. Everything could have still remained under a curse. Now, Jesus came to do away with the curse, of course, but God spoke right here in Genesis. He says, neither will I do it anymore against every living thing. He's talking about a beetle bug, a fly. He covered it all, as I have done. So my, my father of this house has shown me over the years of how to build an altar. And I want to follow in that pattern to share with my family, to share with my children. And sometimes they don't like it. I'll be honest with you, they they kick against the goal. They kick. Dad, I'm tired of doing this. But if you want wisdom, you got to be disciplined. Right? Which puts more pressure on me as a dad to do the right thing because I know they're watching. I know they're going to take my words and use it against me if I don't do it. Just like we can take God's words. Into our prayer closet and say, you said, father, you said right here and blah, 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 blah. But the the Lord said he places his word or even above his name. So he going to respond to his word. Because my daughter now, she dangerous with it. She going to be something else. She knows how to, the art of communication, trust me. She knows how to use certain things. And dad, I remember you said that you were gonna help me do this, and there'd be a day I'm tired. You say it. You say it makes me get up. You say it makes me respond because my word is on the line, my reputation is on the line. You follow what I'm saying? Some of the intangibles from a dad we often don't see. Some of those intangibles I've, I mentioned, the first one is, is love. And again, using my, both of my children in this, when, especially when my daughter was young, you know, she get a little spanking or something like that. Hey, don't do that. I told you that. And they'd cry, you or know, whatever. But what they did was something that softened my own heart. They had turned right around and come and hugged me. After they've been reprimanded and corrected and spanked on. And my wife said, they don't do that to me. I couldn't explain it to her, but now I get it. Wow. I was responding to authority. Wow. And that was love because of the way I did it. When God corrects us, do we run away? Or do we come back and cling to the leg of the father? Look in the eyes of the Father. Grace is one of the intangibles because Lord knows we all mess up. Anybody in the room haven't messed up before? Anybody perfect in the room? Raise your hand. So when you mess up with the Father, He provides a wide area called grace. Gives you opportunity to correct your own mistake and to get it right. So, when my children do something. These are for my husbands. You know, just look straight ahead. When, when they mess up and your wife get on you, like, why didn't you correct them? It's because I provided so much grace. Another one is mercy. That sometimes we withhold judgment when we know it is just and due. But oftentimes we can use that as a moment to teach. Our children, to encourage, to show, to tell them what they've done wrong, but to also step back and say, okay, let's see that you heed the lesson. And humility. When my daughter was young, and now my son, he's still small, but I think he's gonna outgrow me. But even when I correct them, I don't want to stand over them. I go down to one knee and I get eye level so they can see my face so they can hear my heart and i believe god postures himself like that with us sometimes for the things that we continue to do wrong for the for the times where we should have corrected something but we can't seem to get over it if that thing that continues to plague us and plague us and plague us and causes us to miss sleep at night He still has the grace and the mercy in place to say, this is a teaching moment because I love you. I'm not going to reprimand you right now. He's patient and slow to anger. And my wife says to me, you're so patient with them. Why didn't you? I'm just trying to be like the father. And again, please hear me. I am not trying to bring attention to me. I'm just trying to tell you that I'm I'm posturing myself after this and after somebody I can tangibly see that have made mistakes that I can avoid. So, and I'm pretty much done. I'll say this last thing. This, this, um, just short... Reminder of building an altar. I want to pray that if you don't know how to build it. That you'll stay in this house. That you'll come back to this house. If you offend it, shake it off. Get over it. Come back. Because this is a place that will teach you how to build an altar the right way. Nobody in this room is perfect. Starting with me, but I would love to come and worship God in a place that gives me freedom. I mean freedom, real freedom, that I can come to the watch of the Lord, and if God puts something on my heart, no matter bizarre, how bizarre it sounds, we have leaders that will give you grace and the room to share your gift, your talents your experiences, your dreams, they do that. You're not going to find that everywhere. I don't, I don't, you, many of you guys are probably well-traveled. You're not going to find that everywhere. But the altar will speak for you. Mm-hmm. Build the altar in your home if you haven't built it. My, my baby girl, I know she, she, I'm probably embarrassing the heck out of her. But when she get upset with us she knows how to go in that prayer closet on her own. She go in there and she sit and my wife said, where's Elizabeth? That's what I do. And she's like oh okay. Because I know God will speak to her in there. She cannot come out of that prayer closet the same way. And she doesn't. We're all God's children and it's time my belief is I want my fathers to stand with me. Let's build the altar, the righteous altar of the fear of the Lord for once again over our nation. And the altar will speak against everything that is anti-God. Everything. You don't have to challenge it. You don't have to start putting worldly music in the church to try to overcome what some song gone came out. The altar will squash all that. Do I have an amen? amen? Lord, as your word has gone forth, I, uh, I humbly thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, share from this wonderful, anointed platform. Our spiritual leaders of this house, Mahesh and Bonnie Childhood, I ask that you would bless them. Bless their families, their children, their loved ones. Continue to cover them and may the altar speak on their behalf. For any need that they may have. We pray that it is covered right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know, I sense in my spirit that this is a season where they are just pouring out. And they're looking for people who have open hands and buckets ready to receive all the knowledge and experience that you have given them over the years. And we are that bucket. We pray for the city of Charlotte and Fort Mill, South Carolina, that a new wave of glory shall extend from this house And the altar will speak for us in the election cycles. The altar will speak for us in our homes, in our communities. It will squash gun violence. It will squash all of the things, Lord God, that the naysayers and the talking heads on TV are telling us that is anti-God. And we pray, just like Paul had an experience, that our elected officials and our leaders, Lord God, will hear the voice of the Lord. Because of the altar that has been built. And they will also hear the voice of a father and return to their rightful place in your kingdom. In Jesus name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brother Ken. Come on. Come on. Praise the Lord. Wow. Oh, listen. There's some good stuff there. Good stuff. The power of that demonstration, that analogy of that altar and the reverse of the curse and a foreshadowing, obviously, of the father's altar where he laid his son ultimately. But that is so powerful, so good, so good. And, you know, you invited the fathers to stand. On Friday night, um, I asked Mr. Nycom, uh, if he would take a moment this morning. You all know Mr. Nikom. Come on. And you are watching your legacy in this house, extending to a second and third generation already. So Amen. we Amen. just welcome Amen. and bless you guys. We're so happy that this season of life, you get to be closer to this part of your branch and tree.
4: Thank you very much for the opportunity. We, we honor you, and we uh, thank you and, and this whole house for uh, supporting Michael for uh, 22 years now, soon 22 <laughs> years, and his family.
1: Right, so you can put your stuff there. Okay, sorry. There we go. Yeah, I need... I need let me see. Let's put see. yours there, and this one needs to get out of your way. All right, there we go. Okay.
4: Thank the Lord. So I wanted to uh, do a couple things. First, I wanted to speak a little bit about uh, the Nikom heritage and uh, what's up with the Nikom family. And uh, we are German immigrants. We came from Bavaria. Uh, Two Johns, John 1 and John 2, commonly called John 1 and John 2, were immigrants. Uh, They settled up near Jasper, Indiana in northern Dubois County, southern Indiana, a German community. I'm the uh, sixth generation, Michael, seven. I was the first generation that spoke English as a primary language. Uh, My father learned to speak English in elementary school. Uh, We are fundamentalist, holiness Lutherans, for lack of a better term. My uh, grandmother's hair was never cut, and she always, these are religious things, I understand, but she always wore head coverings in church, uh, and uh, my, my grandfather was named Michael. We called him Mike, and my grandmother was Mary, Mary Nycom, one. So, a uh, wow. bit of generation, and a bit of trivia. My uh, great-grandmother was Anna, Mike One's mother, and her maiden name was Brown, and Her brother is the great-grandfather of Mike Brown, senator from Indiana. So, uh, and their uh, great-great-grandfather, Brown, uh, was a German immigrant, came through Louisville, was a very prominent businessman, just like Mike is. Uh, So, uh, anyway, moving on, uh, childhood was pretty much... Uh, you know, church. We were farmers, and uh, all the generally all the Nikums were farmers. At least the early, early years, uh, were a pretty good handyman. You know, fixed everything that was broke. Uh, and you know, the church was the center of our life. You know, I, I went to a four-room school, elementary school, and our high school had a total of 250 students in it. And, you know, it was about church, you know, we had no extracurricular activities to speak of, there was no after school stuff, you know, except farming, you know, so that was kind of our, our heritage, Ch- uh, you know, family, church, and work, kind of in that order. But church always trumped everything, really, for that matter. And, uh, you know, before, uh, of course, we, I got married, uh, and, you know, Michael was born, and we were uh, in, uh, uh, ended up in Owensboro, Kentucky, in 1980, and he was born in 81. We were in the Lutheran church there. We were uh, we had a Christian home, but uh, Christian identity, but our lives, you know, lacked the power of Christian living. You know, so we were like many in society today. The majority of Christians. We were probably in the middle of that group. You know, we weren't off in the ditch completely, but we certainly weren't, you know, fully in the lane of traffic, so to speak. Uh, So then the Iraq War happened, and everything changed forever. I had a massive awakening. That would be another whole three or four sermons during the Iraq War, and everything changed. I believed every word in the Bible after the Iraq War. I did not believe any word in the Bible. I have to praise God. I was never taught cessationism. I was never taught it. I had nothing to undo regarding cessationism. I, I believed every word in the Bible, all the t- always, as far as I can remember, but I never really believed all the words in the Bible, you know, kind of thing. I had knowledge, but not it not, hadn't, hadn't really taken over my being. Um, so we had this great spiritual awakening, and it was a, a journey. Uh, you know, I knew that we had to move out of the Lutheran Church. We were attending a Lutheran Church in Owensboro, Kentucky. You know, Michael had attended church. He was in Sunday school. He had went to Lutheran camp. You know, he had done all the good stuff. Uh, He knew, uh, had some knowledge of the Bible and Ten Commandments, all Bible stories, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, But I knew we had to do something different, so we looked around. We looked at some evangelical churches, but uh, they just didn't do everything that the Bible said in that church know, to my perspective. So we ended up in uh, Assembly of God Church, Charismatic Assembly of God Church in Owensboro, uh, kind of the largest church in western Kentucky. We had a sanctuary that probably would seat 2,000 if you all got cozy in there, and Michael grew up in that church, and he was in Royal Rangers and Bible Quiz, all those things, foundational things. He was in the uh, Puppet Ministry as a 10, 11, 12-year-old and went all over the state of Kentucky. We did backyard uh, evangelical outreaches. I built a puppet stage for them. Man, puppet glower. And the raisin puppets, the raisin puppets. Man, I I bet there was, how many, Michael? Hundreds of kids got saved.
0: That was the, uh, sorry. California raisin puppets. Do you remember yeah. the California raisins? Yeah. yeah. We yeah. we did that, and we were singing. You know, we took fifties doo wop songs and made them into Christian songs, and uh, it was and world it.
4: class, I tell you. The altars were full. Amen. So we we uh, we came through all of that, and then you know there was the, the obviously. This was the 90s, so we had Toronto and Brownsville, and Rodney Howard Brown was based in Louisville, Kentucky. And, man, we had a time. You, you can't hardly, it's almost beyond imagination what all happened. Right, Michael? I mean, I can't, I can't do it justice to even talking about it honor to you Jesus praise thank you God for the journey amen it was glorious so first time we saw Mahesh Shavda was in st. Louis Missouri at the Randy Clark conference in the hotel on the river next to the arch the round hotel the big round hotel and he was on fire he was doing good he prayed for us all it was in the afternoon afternoon service I had us all lined up, knocked Michael down with the microphone, you know, punched him in his neck. He probably got a better
0: memory. Uh, and he yeah, taught... He, he punched me in the stomach with a microphone. Yeah. And what, one of the things that... You're really bringing out all the nuggets today. Yeah. Um, there's more good stuff coming. Um, we... Um, I remember, you know, and this is really connected in with what Ken said and all those other things, but... The Lord's really bringing these things around full circle, but I remember one of the things significantly of seeing Pastor Mahesh for the first time was, one, we never had really experienced a speaker that was so hilarious, so comical, and so free, and we also were in awe of the power of the Holy Spirit, not on the man, but on the Holy Spirit that was flowing through the vessel and he would sh- he shared all these stories of Africa in the 80s and all the stories that we hear today and we we it was just like this hunger this intense hunger for more for seeing that revelation of the lord moving in our midst and he came up when he came up to our family he came up to mom and dad prayed for them and i remember he took the microphone just like this and just punched me in the stomach just boom like that and it was like a lightning bolt Hit me from heaven. And it was a you know, pure surge of energy. and it's amazing to see what the Lord has done right. in all of our midst since then. So, so there you go.:
4: So I yeah, say. So, yeah. so he spoke that, night, that afternoon, among other things, about the watch of the Lord in that service and prayer. And we went back to Owensboro, and I think that next weekend we had an all-night watch in the sanctuary. At Good Shepherd Church, all night. That's the only time I've that I can remember that I prayed all night. That was, that was the level of the impact. I prayed all night in that church. Not 10 o'clock. I mean, we left at 7 o'clock in the morning. And that's the only time I think I'd have ever done that. And I want to say one other thing, though, I skipped over. We got to kind of detract here. Back in in my early years, this is important. I think, from the father perspective, uh, in my early years, my father, his name was Gilbert, and Mike's son, Mike one, and uh, he was a very supportive father, hardworking German, uh, and uh, he was very supportive. He wasn't what I would call a real loving father. Uh, of sorts, you know, like by today's standards, but he was always there, anything in church, school, anything, he was there, supportive, and he taught me everything, you know, how to work, you know, how to be a craftsman, you know, all those things he taught me, Uh, but I was uh, fortunate, you know, unfortunate for the grandkids here that have sports ambitions. I, I never excelled in sports. I wasn't bad, but I wasn't a superstar. And, but I was good academically. So I was had the honor of being the senior class president. And uh, at commencement, the keynote address was delivered by the senior class president, so I did that. And a few days after that, my father asked me if I was going to be the president of the United States. Now, I tell you, you know, that's something to hear from your father. Now, I don't remember how I answered I don't remember, but I remember. that's really the only thing, clearly, I have to say at this point that I can remember that my father said, my wow. and uh, of course, I'm not the president, but maybe it'll be Michael, maybe it'll be Ethan, Ben, Jude, maybe it'll be Hadassah, Hadassah for president. I don't know, but...
0: Hey, I will say... This man was the first in our family to go to college, not only to go to college, but go to a, one of the most prestigious engineering schools in the United States called rose Holman Institute of Technology, one of the leading schools even today, close to MIT, and also the school that my father-in-law went to as well, but passed with flying colors. And is a, has been for many decades a prestigious engineer in the energy sector. So, I want to give big props to him Amen. as well for his achievements. Amen.
4: So, but there's one thing that, yeah, I just wanted to, to say. You know, uh, of course, Roe versus Wade, a couple things about that real quick, and then we need to move on. I've got a couple of scriptures to share that I think are important. But Roe versus Wade, I was in college at Rose-Hulman, uh, and, of course, don't know about rose home and it's like school on on you know steroids you know uh, very challenging it was all male school at the time uh so i wasn't paying too much attention to other thing anything besides school work but i don't remember taking a position on abortion to my and i repent of that I, i did not stand for life i did not stand for anything as i can recall so i repent of that i should have should have uh, stood for life, and it was an error on my part, uh, but then, you know, when, when I, we had the great awakening during the Gulf War, you know, just like the Lord took blinders off of my eyes, and everything became real, and the Bible became the standard for everything, and uh, you know, Joshua 24, I'm going to give you four key scriptures Quick as I can here. Joshua 24, you know, 14 and 15. And for me, it was both verses. You know, it's quite common, you know, Joshua 24, 15. Everybody's happy about that one. Yeah. But 14, so this is my translation. So fear the Lord, serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away foreign, forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived before, beyond the Euphrates, River in Egypt serve the Lord alone then verse 15 but if you refuse to serve the Lord then serve then 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 choose today whom you will serve would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live but as for me and my family We will serve the Lord. So that became a profound scripture for me, and I would encourage it for all the fathers, for all the men here. First, fear the Lord. Verse 14, fear the Lord. Now, I had an element of that in me as a child, and I'm thankful for that. And it wasn't terribly religious, but it was good enough to get your attention. And I think that is a good thing. And then, yes, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So to the extent I could, I tried to make that, you know, one of my themes in life, you know, after our our awakening. And uh, did anybody here go to the Million Man March on October 4, 1997? Got one, two. Michael, Herman was there, so we were in Kentucky. This was a profound event. Now, whatever you think of the Promise Keepers, I just tell you that Million Man March, we tore down some idols that day. And I will tell you what it was like. To my understanding, every charter bus in North America was on that trip, and every able-bodied bus driver was on duty that weekend. So we boarded the bus in Owensboro, Kentucky at Good Shepherd Church early afternoon, as I recall, on Friday. We went across Pennsylvania on the Pennsylvania Turnpike all night. I didn't sleep a wink. There was, as I can remember, there was nothing on the highway but buses. When we stopped And got off the bus. Other buses were there. Everybody was standing and praising God, singing hymns. The devil had left town. We owned that highway. Those buses, we changed drivers in Pennsylvania. We had been on the road eight hours or whatever the limit was, so we got a new bus driver in Pennsylvania. We drove through the night, we got to Washington, came down through Hagerstown, we drove and parked on the outer fringes of Washington, D.C. in a big field full of buses, and we got on the subway, and we went in to the center of the city. We came up, subways, walked out, and we were at the Washington Monument, the American Indians, Native Americans, had teepees all set up over to the side. The, the place was packed. It's an understatement, in my opinion, that there was a million people there. It was, it was profound. Then uh, we were there all day praising God and listening to speakers. and we got on the bus, and we drove back all night. To Owensboro and uh, it was an epic journey it's it's hard to but I think you know it, it what it did to me is it reinforced as men that we are not alone yeah. you know the devil always told me I was alone I was alone you know okay you're getting all fired up about God but you're all alone but you know Several of those events, we went to uh, Hoosier Dome in, in, in Annapolis, uh, big arena in Atlanta. We were there when the Promise Keepers had the big event in Atlanta. So we went to several big events, and it, it encouraged me that we were not alone uh, and that men could, could make the stand that for me and my house, we were going to serve the Lord. Um, then another scripture that had a profound effect was Proverbs 14, 26 and 27, verse 26 and 27. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain, it offers escape from the snares of death. So even when we were back in our religious Lutheran life, Nancy and I had went to Denmark and Sweden. I was on it was a business trip for me. I, I was a consultant for a period of time, and we were consulting for Danish oil and gas and sweet gas in Sweden. So we, I was working. She was sightseeing. So she was sightseeing in Copenhagen. And an angel picked her up out of the line of traffic and set her on the sidewalk and saved her life. And that was before uh, the Great Awakening (laughs) and the Gulf War. So, anyway, praise the Lord for escape from the snares of death. And uh, then a couple more scriptures uh, that have been real prominent for me uh, and and relate to the blessed life in, uh, of serving the Lord. And it's Psalm 127 and 128. So unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless to know, it's useless For you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his beloved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in the warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Verse 128, how, chapter 128, verse 1. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. So there is a blessing for fearing the Lord, for fearing the Lord. And then the last scripture I want to share is Isaiah 50, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. And in uh, translation that I have has uh, section headers, you know, in the, in the various sections uh, of the, ch- uh, the verses. And this section is called the Lord's Obedient servant. Verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I may know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheek to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. I will not be put to shame. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will not be put to shame. I fear the Lord. I will not be put to shame. Praise God. So the last thing I want to say is about the Supreme Court ruling. And then the last several months, I mean, we we pray in Owensboro on Friday nights uh, and have for 20-some years, uh, now. And uh, the Lord has impressed on me over the last several months that the 63 million aborted children are standing before the throne in heaven, crying out for justice. And so what I came to me Friday as morning as I heard the news was that these children in heaven, we're having the most glorious worship service, praising God for justice on the earth. So I believe that you know it's it's a real breakthrough. I believe there's been many things uh, involved in getting us to this point, things like the Million Man March and things that you know the women have done in addition to the men, but I think. You know, we're in a season now where, you know, the men from here now, I think it's going to have to be the men. It's going to have to be the men. We're going to have to decide where we stand and what we're going to do with our mouth, how bold we're going to be. We're going to have to risk, you know, being slapped on the cheek and having our beards pulled out. We're going to have to risk being mocked and spit upon, but we know that we will not be put to shame if we stand for the Lord. So we have to challenge all the men to make a couple declarations, you know, that we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to fear the Lord. Righteous, holy fear. And that we will speak and stand for the Bible, for truth, and that we will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame. So, so, Lord, let's pray. So, Lord, I just pray for all the men here this morning, Lord, all watching online. Lord, I pray that you would impart from all these men that have spoken these last two, two Sundays and from Bonnie as well, Lord, the, the revelation... Uh, from from what has come forth from this pulpit, Lord. Lord, that our lives will be forever marked. Lord, that we, as it says, we will be determined. We will be determined. We will set our face like stone to do your will, God, to do your will, to speak your truth, and to declare to this generation the truth of God's wisdom and word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Mr. Nycomb. Thank you. If you would just stay up here for just a minute. Wow. We have been in Mount Zion this morning together to hear the resounding counsel of our Heavenly Father in so many ways. And we know that it's always appropriate to. Take those little steps in acts of faith in response when we hear the word of the Lord. And among the clear demonstrations I think he has given us today is the idea of building an altar, a fresh altar that will be dedicated, as Joshua said and as Mr. Nikom has exhorted us, as for me and my house As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will fear the Lord. We will obey the Lord and we will not be put to shame.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.